One of the greatest letters ever written was from the Apostle Paul to his dear friends in the city of Philippi. And while this was written some 2,000 years ago, the truth that we still draw upon today and need today is probably as, as helpful as at any time in human history. The theme of our series has been Joy in the Valley, and I think that's the name of our church, Valley Community Church. Say, so why would you be valley when there are mountains? Because we'd much rather look at the mountains, <clears throat> and we'd much rather have mountaintop experiences for sure. The truth is, we, we live in the reality of the valley. We look at the mountains, the, the truths of God, the existence of God, the constant encouragements that He gives to us, but we struggle to exercise our faith in believing what He says. And this is one of the challenges we've had, we've talked about the last several weeks when He says, rejoice always. And that he says also, I've learned to be content in every circumstance. Well, just think back this week. What was it that robbed you of your joy? What circumstance took place that really got under your skin? I don't think we can get through a day where there isn't something we face that will tend to rob us of our joy to rob us of our peace, to rob us of really being content. And what I love about the Apostle Paul, he is a confessional writer. In other words, he speaks out of his own experience, and he, he, he lets you identify with him. When I think about that, every one of us here have a story. We have a story of life. We have a story of our struggle. And if I were to, to ask us just to go around and start sharing what happened this week in your life, in your story, that made it difficult to rejoice, we'd, we'd probably all have something to say. We may not all say it, but we'd have something to say. Typically, though, we hold those things pretty tight. We don't talk to everyone about our spiritual struggle. We, we just don't. And once in a while, when a pastor's speaking, he'll tell you a personal story. And I have a story. And, and being a pastor, you enter into a lot of other people's stories. In other words, you're, you're the people in the church. And those things I don't talk about. Uh, and you hope that I don't talk about from the pulpit. But I'd like to just share in the course of this last week, people who are not in this church that are in my life of what they've gone through. On, on Monday, I was engaged in discussion with a guy who I've known for a very long time, grew up, loves the Lord, surrendered to ministry, began pastoring a church. <clears throat> I was there when he was installed as the pastor. He's in the Midwest. <clears throat> Tremendous Bible teacher, shepherd, pastor, father, husband. I mean, just a model. He used to come up to the college and, and speak to the students on a regular basis. And over the last couple of years, his grown and married son, uh, something came up, and now he's estranged with his son. His son won't speak to him. He won't get with him. They live in the same area. And you can imagine as a father, 
not being able to speak to your son. Your son doesn't want to speak to you. Every day you face that. Every day that eats at you. And then to, and you can understand how this happens. And then people in the church begin to be critical that maybe you're not fit to be a pastor because your son is not walking with the Lord and you can't get along with him. <laughs> you think, how can that happen? That can happen. A grown son makes an adult decision. Well, maybe you should have done something better. And criticisms come. And you're already beaten down. You already feel like a failure. I mean, you're battling these internal thoughts. And so finally, my friend stepped away from the pastorate. He said, I just can't do it anymore. He's working two jobs. I still call him on a regular basis. And I, and I feel it. I don't feel it like he feels it, but I feel that because I have sons. And there are some pains that go on in your life that you walk around with and, and everybody else in the world's oblivious to. On Tuesday, I've got another friend, some of you will you'll know, Pat McCarty. I still remember when the night he came to Christ. He's my age. Um, but I remember he, he came to church and like his eyes opened up and he trusted Christ as his Savior. Well, time has gone by and Pat McCarty is the headmaster of a large school in Norfolk, Virginia. And it just seemed like God has been blessing his life and his kids are doing well. And he's headmaster of this large uh, Norfolk Christian, which is one of the largest uh, Christian schools on the East Coast. And, and doing so, so well. And I saw him. He said, I'm coming out this summer. I'm going to do some 14ers. And then um, head back to Virginia. And they got the year coming up. And he's making hiring decisions and everything else. And then he writes me an email. And he says, Matt, I've got cancer. And I'm thinking, no, no, you're too young. I mean, you're my age. <laughs> you can't have cancer. And he said, you know, it, they say it's ex- incredibly advanced. And I went to the doctors, and they recommended surgery and chemo and radiation and seeds and, I mean, it's like everything, all of the options. And he goes up to Johns Hopkins, and the, the best doctor known and, and this kind of cancer, he asked him, what should I do? What, which procedure? He said, do all of them. Thanks. wow. And so Tuesday morning, he's in surgery. Now, that type of news, it, cha- it changes everything. It, cha- it changes your life. On Wednesday, I'm talking to my dad. And, uh, you know, this is my world, my life, and I know you have one too. I'm just... I'm just sharing you with, with my dad. My dad is the most godly man I know. You'll hear me talk about him all the time. I'm, I don't deserve the dad that God's given me. My dad has been a disciple maker. He's poured his life into people. And, um, but my mom, uh, is also a very godly woman, has some form of dementia now. And so when I'm talking to my dad, my, he's still married. He's still, my mom's still at home. She's still there, but it's not the same person. And every day, can you imagine that being married for over 50 years, and, and then you're looking at the person you love and that you married, and they're not there. And everything you need to do is an absolute struggle. It's just, it's just a, a, a pain. So we struggle for contentment. And uh, Friday, I've got a text uh, from my mother-in-law. And 
Diane's parents, uh, she grew up in a home where they were doing Campus Crusade for Christ. They're doing uh, Youth for Christ, Young Life, um, all kinds of ministries, people in their home. They were, he's, a, he's a medical doctor and very generous. I mean, they would give away their money to missions causes, people in the church. People were homeless, just constantly pouring out to other people. And all life long, they've walked with God and served the Lord and given of what they've had. And he, he practiced medicine until he was 80. And at the very end of his medical career, someone, the business manager of their medical practice, embezzled all of the money he had saved for retirement. Everything. Everything they had was gone, except Social Security. Now, that's my little life, <laughs> my little bitty life. Some, some of the people that I know, plus the stuff that I go through, but if we were to take my little bitty life and your bitty little life and just begin to add up all of the th- stuff, all of the things that happen that make you wonder, because I'm looking at my mom and dad, I'm looking at Diane's parents, I'm looking at Pat McCarty, I'm looking at my friend uh, in the Midwest, I'm thinking, Lord, why? Why? Isn't there some blessing? Isn't there some reward? Isn't there some consolation when you really want to do what's right? You want to follow the Lord. And it seems like the more you do that, the more life unravels. And so this is what, this is what to me, is the battle. And Paul is, is such a, a great leader in this because he, this is what he's learned. And he talks about this. This is my experience and what we talked about last week, Paul, Paul says it this way, is, I have learned, I have learned to be content. In other words, I've been initiated into the secret. And Paul's experience, and we're pretty, if you've been following with us from the, the first chapter, is that Paul is, you know, following the Lord, doing the right thing, obeying God, and doing every, I mean, if you're thinking, Lord, I'm doing everything you're asking me to do, so there must be some cherry. <laughs> There must be some blessing, and yet we find him, he's beaten, he's put in prison, he's going to face execution. From a human standpoint, it seems like, where is God? How, how can God do this? And so Paul's experience actually is probably much worse when you look at his whole life than any of us have gone through. So that kind of gives him room to talk. <laughs> And I like that because if he didn't have room to talk, I'd say, you have no idea or you have no clue. And and typically that's the way I feel when someone wants to give me advice is, you have no idea what's going on. But Paul speaks through an understanding. And this is the declaration he makes in chapter 4 when we're coming to the the end of Philippians. So we only had a couple more weeks in this. To what I would fall is talk about watershed verses. This, this verse is a great text. And you, and you take the text in the context of the whole, but in and of itself, this text is one of the great texts of the Bible. And part of it is intimidating for me because I feel like, how do I even begin to try to exhaust it in words of what he is saying? And here's what he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But before we dive into this, and I'd like to, to expand a little bit on this verse, is I want to give a little bit of backstory. 
of how we get up to this point. How does Paul get up to prison? How do you get up to this point now with all that's going on in your personal life? We're talking about your little bitty life and then your family and your friends. And then you start to multiply it throughout our church family. How much pain, how much struggle is going on right now? How much of it is really a a battle for us to believe that this is true? We go all the way back to, and the backstory is to Genesis, where we read the very first verse, and a lot of people know this by heart. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it chronicles through the six days of creation, and after each day, it says, and God said it is good. Well, you think about that. God said it is good. What was good? Everything was good. God's creative work in, we call, we've learned that this is the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect and everything was good. There was no negativity. There was no pain, no sorrow, no sickness, no disappointment, no heartache, no tragedy, no cancer, no sons that are leaving away. It was perfect. And you say, well, then why did, why did it change? You say, well, because sin. Well, if God was a loving God, and I've thought this way before, if God was a loving God, He never would have allowed Adam to have a choice. Have you thought that before? Because way back then, He did have a free will. When He was perfect, Adam and Eve, they had a free will. Well, if that was the mistake that God made, is giving Adam and Eve an opportunity to make a choice. If he never gave them a choice, that wouldn't have happened. Well, if you think about it, what kind of relationship would that have been? Be a robot. And God didn't make robots. He, God wanted to love and for those that he created to love him. A real relationship. And when you enter into any real relationship, there's risk. Right? There's risk. So that was the risk. Adam and Eve sinned, and when they sinned, we call this the fall, and what fell? Everything. The whole world became marred by sin. So now you have in the world death, sin, pain, sorrow, sickness, disease, tragedy, all of it. And we, we watch and horror as the world is this downward plunge and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And then we come to this magnificent text, another magnificent text in John 3.16 where it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So while God created the perfect situation, man made a bad, bad choice now we, we begin to see the story of redemption. And from Genesis, this is the amazing thing, from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation, you are going to see like a red thread, a, a, a story of God's love and redemption. He's going to get us back. He's going to get us back. And so he sends his son who dies for our sins And he is resurrected to give us new life. 
because our sin had caused death. And now he talks about creating a new heaven and a new earth for us. So he says, let not your heart be troubled. You, you believe in God, believe also in me. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. Isn't that tremendous? So God started us off perfectly, creation. We messed it up entirely, fall, sin, and death, corruption. God rescues us by sending His Son to pay for our sins, atone for our sins, conquer death, rise again, and now He's preparing, even as we speak today, He is preparing a place for us in heaven. Now, that's what He teaches us. And that gives us great hope. So that's the backstory. The present story is this, that we are part as a believer. If you say that I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian, I, I believe in God, I believe in Christ, then you are a part of His redemption story. And what God is busy about right now is not trying to make this world, oh, I just want to make this world perfect and, and fix everything. It's not about this world. This world is in a downward spiral. His purpose and His passion is when you drive through the city of Boulder or Lafayette or Louisville or Denver is His great passion is redemption, is saving people, washing their sins away, making them His children, bringing them to heaven. This is God's great ambition. And we are a part of that. That's why we need to recognize in the context of this backstory it's not about this world. It's not about this life, about that car and that house or this body. You know what? Whether or not I get cancer or my friend gets cancer or I lose my job or I lose my retirement, we're all physically, we're, we're dying anyway. And this world is passing away. And so our focus needs to be forward to God's promise and realize that He has me here as His disciple. I, I'm participating in this good news. Why are you at your job? Why are you in your neighborhood? Why are you in the family? Why are you in that hospital room? Why are you getting pulled over on the side of the road? Why are you in the checkout line at Safeway? Every place we go, we are telling good news, living good news. Jesus said, follow me. When he walked by Peter and James and John and Matthew, we always hear these words, follow me, follow me. And at first we think, oh yeah, great, I'm going to follow Jesus. That sounds awesome. Where was he headed? He was headed to the cross. You remember the one man who said to him, I will follow you anywhere you go. I think we'd all probably say that at one point or another. I will follow you anywhere you go. Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What is he saying? He's saying, 
Well, if you follow me, <clears throat> I'm not staying at the Hilton. In fact, I've got no place planned for tonight. He says also, take up your cross. Follow me. Someone says, I need to go take care of this. He said, let the dead bury the dead. He says, in another place, leave your father and mother. Follow me. He says, deny yourself. Deny yourself. Now, this context, if we don't believe it, if we get attached to this body, this life, this bank account, this set of circumstances, if my life starts to be surrounded by how well things are going here, and I'm not looking beyond in the big picture plan of being with Him in heaven, and that right now the biggest job on earth is redemption. If I'm not seeing it that way, here's how my life is going to go. Doubt, fear, guilt, shame, discouragement, worry, anger, bitterness, stress, and discontentment. How many of you have been there this week? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we fall back to that. You remember Peter when he's walking on the water? Jesus said, step out of the boat and walk to me. And he had his eyes on Jesus. All was well. And then when he started looking around at the waves, he started to sink. And Jesus said, oh, you of little faith. And I think that's exactly what happens to us. When I'm walking on the water living the Christian life, and I'm, I'm looking into his eyes, there's a security and a peace and a calm. The moment I start looking around at the waves, I've got the horizontal view, I begin to fear. Now, what I've realized for Christians and non-Christians and people all over the world, the same stuff happens to us, doesn't it? We get in car accidents just like anybody else. Christians do. We lose all we have. We get cancer. We have heart attacks. We have children that leave home and won't talk to us. In fact, when I look at the Christian family, the Christian life, we go through the pains of this existence like everybody else. The difference is how we see it. How we see it. So this future promise the verse. I'd like to just speak briefly on this. God has given us a promise through the Apostle Paul. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I want you first to, to consider the measure of his promise. I can do all things. I can do all things. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that I could jump off this stage and start flying? <laughs> You know, my mind just kind of goes that way. You know, especially as a kid. You know, I'm thinking, I can do all things. Woo! Like I'll push a button. <clears throat> and, and typically, even as adults, we think, that means I can do whatever I want to do. That's not what this is saying. And it's not saying that, uh, that I can just re live a real religious life and I can do all these things. But what he's saying is that everything that God wants me to do, has asked me to do, expects me to do, has called me to do, I can do. And he's referring back, verse 13 is referring back, and a literal translation would be this, I can do all this. Well, what's this? I can suffer need, and I can be in plenty, and I can be content. 
So in other words, I can be in a palace or I can be in prison. In either case, I can be content. And, and what he says is, I can do all this. I can do all this. In other words, God had strategically placed Paul right under Nero's nose. And this is the part that we need to understand. From the human perspective, we can see our present trouble as, there, what good can come out of this? Well, you don't see it often. And that's why you struggle. That's why you argue with God. I argue with God. I don't do it blatantly, but in my spirit, I often argue with God. What good can come out of this? So here you have a guy who's going to lead the charge. We're taking the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We are going to Spain. And all of a sudden, he's in a dungeon. <clears throat> he's, in, he's arrested. He's in prison. And if you go back to chapter 1, you'll find out that he says, though, that, but actually what has happened to me has worked out for the furtherance of the gospel. It's worked out for the furtherance of the gospel. How is that? Well, he said, everyone under Pharaoh's nose, he doesn't say that exactly, but he, everyone under uh, Pharaoh, well, missed out. everyone under Nero's nose in Rome is hearing the gospel. And the soldiers are being saved. And the people are being saved. Some say that even Nero's wife had come to Christ. And so because he is there in the worst possible situation, and the tendency could be, could be completely frustrated with God. I just, I just don't understand this. Now the gospel is exploding with these soldiers. Now what happens to soldiers, they end up going all over the Roman Empire. With what? With the gospel. <laughs> and you can imagine how Nero is trying to, to snuff this out, and it's actually just getting ignited with great power. Now, can I promise you this, that every time... God allows something in your life that's painful. He is working for your good, and He is working to advance the good news to the ends of the earth. And both of those glorify Him. He is pleased to see you grow and develop, and He is pleased to see His gospel and His good news advanced. The hard part is when you're still not able to connect the dots. I don't understand this. I don't, you know, because we think I've done this, 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 and this, so God should reward me with, with something else. So we learn this. We've talked so much about our view of God that we've said it this way, all joy is rooted in the sovereignty of God. I would expand that statement to say all joy and peace and contentment is rooted in the sovereignty of God. So when I say His sovereignty is that I'm going to step back Take a deep breath because I'm kind of frustrated right now about what's going on in my life. And I'm going to choose to believe that God's good and He's at work to shape my life, to shape all those around me, to advance the good news of the gospel because we're working from the fall. We're working all to being in heaven with Him someday. And wouldn't you love to see people around you, your neighbors, your friends in heaven? He's working toward that. So the measure, the measure I can do all things. The all things is everything I'm supposed to do, everything God calls me to do, everything He puts before me, whether in, in plenty or with want, all things. And then, secondly, not just the measure of His promise, all things, but the means of His promise. 
The means is Christ. And if we miss this, we miss everything. Because what Jesus did is he died on the cross to pay the penalty of your sin and mine. He washed, his blood washed away your sins. His sacrifice on the cross pleased God's holiness. In other words, God's a righteous, pure, holy God, and this place in heaven is perfect, so me as a sinner, <laughs> I'm not going to get in unless somehow I get this sin problem resolved. I can't resolve it. No matter what I do, I can't resolve it. But Jesus, when he came in my place, he died on the cross in my place. His blood was shed to wash away my sins and make me clean so I can be in heaven. And not only did Jesus die for my sins, he rose again and he lives to make intercession for me. He lives for me. He is there now because when he says, I can do all things through Christ, he's not dead. He's not a memory. This is the difference of with Christianity and all the other world religions is the resurrection. I mean, a lot of people have died for causes, but no one has been resurrected. Jesus died, paid the penalty of sin, resurrected, lives for us. So it's not just that you became a Christian by Christ. You, you accept by faith each little trial in your little bitty world that rocks your faith the way you get through the days with Christ. He saved you. He's also there for you every day. Third, the method of His promise. So we have the measure, all things, the means. It is Christ. It is through Christ, the person of Christ in relationship. And finally, the method of His promise. Do you know when Jesus was ascending up to heaven? He's, the, the disciples are all bothered because He's leaving. <laughs> And he says, you don't need to be troubled. He said, I'm going to send to you a comforter. And what he's talking about is his spirit. So as a, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, immediately the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. And he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And you know what? Every single one of you here today that in simple faith has believed upon Jesus Christ, God lives in you. Christ in you, the Spirit of God in you. He lives there. Now, you mean the Almighty God, the one who said, created, created the world, that parted the Red Sea? You mean that same God who can do all things? He lives here? That's right. And so you never have to fear. His presence is never going to leave you. He said, He promised, I'll never leave you. And so He helps you. That's why when it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. How does He give it? It's not from the outside. He's giving me strength or showing up when I call or, or text Him. He lives here. He is there who gives me strength, His Spirit. He gives us His Word. It's another method. He's speaking truth to our lives, and that's why God has given us the, the promises, like having this verse. I need to kind of say it over and over and over, and oh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through going back again and again. His truth, His truth, it'll never fail. He gives us prayer that at any time, anywhere, in any situation, you can get a hold of Him because He's just there. You ever get frustrated when you can't get a hold of someone? 
he's always there, and he, all, he knows all the backstory. He knows the forward story. He knows everything. He's right there, and you can talk to him about it. And, and the good thing is you don't have to talk in fa fancy language. You don't have to have this high prayer. You can just pour out how you feel. I do that a lot with God. I try to be respectful, <laughs> but I'm, thinking, I'm, his, I'm his son. He already knows I'm so frustrated right now because here I am trying to do this, this, and this, and this, and all I get is this. And I'm frustrated. And he's got to coach me back. <clears throat> and the last method that I would say to you is this little group here, fellow believers, we need each other. The church is not a building. The church is a gathering of believers. Now, we would all say, we believe this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We all would say we believe this, but I would also say that we all struggle to believe it. Would you agree with me? We struggle to believe it. And that's why we need to come alongside each other from time to time. And uh, the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake assembling together, but so much the more encourage each other, so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, sometimes I need someone just to speak it back to me too. You know what? You know, I always feel like saying, shut up. <laughs> someone says, well, you know all things work together for good. You know you can do all things through Christ. I feel, I feel like saying, shut up. <laughs> you know why? Because <clears throat> I know that. But I'm not feeling it. And my prayer for this church is that we can be the kind of church that really encourages one another in this. Not in a lecturing legalistic, judgmental way, but a positive, reminding way that what God says is true. And see, what, what really delights the heart of God is, is like with, with Paul. In, in prison, he says, I'm full of joy. And when you're going through the stuff of this past week, and I'm going through this, if I look back at a and a guy that I talked about Monday, he can be full of joy. When I talked to Pat McCarty on Tuesday, he can be full of joy. I know my dad struggles to be full of joy, but I see my dad being full of joy. My in-laws being full of joy. And you know, you just multiply that, I mean, exponentially. That this makes God happy. And it encourages one another. And you know something? That is what is the, the light that shines to the world that makes Christianity attractive. It's, it's the joy, not because we don't have, you know, it'd be really nice if, well, if you get saved, if you just get saved, your cancer would go away. Now, there's some, there's some people that teach that. Say, you know what, if you don't have any more car accidents, you'll never get pulled over, and you always have plenty of money, your retirement will be good, and just, just obey God, and you know what, everything's going to be, and, and people will see that and say, I want to be a Christian. It's not the way it works. In the midst of the same junk, there's joy and peace and contentment. Because of what we believe is true about our God. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And my prayer is this might be what we speak back to ourselves and speak to each other until the day when all of those who have been redeemed, all those who have been washed clean, all of those are gathered in His presence in a perfect environment forever and ever, you think, well, would you just hurry up, Lord? Would you just hurry up? Why not just now? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have someone you care deeply about who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior? 
How many of you? Okay. That, that causes a little pause, doesn't it? When you say, hurry, hurry. And Peter said this, he's not, the Lord is not slow concerning his promise, but he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So see the big picture. We're part of the big picture. We move forward in joy because all of this stuff is soon going to pass away and we're going to enjoy him forever in heaven. And keep that perspective. And you know what? You'll have to argue yourself back to that every day of your life, pretty much. But it's true. Let's bow together as we pray. Father, you know <clears throat> the struggles that we've experienced this past week in our little world, our family, our friends, jobs, our health, circumstances that are causing despair, insecurities, fears. Lord, we, may we learn, like Paul said, I've learned, I've learned to be content as we rest upon the truth that you give us. And my prayer is this, that we can take great joy that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose again, that he's preparing for us a home in heaven. And I pray we would long for that and we would allow that view to put everything else in perspective. As our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I don't know, for a lot of you, I don't know your story. And for many of you, you, you don't really talk about it a lot. You don't share it. It's, it's a private thing. But you know that God understands it perfectly. And He is there. Right now, He is there to help you through that and to give you the strength to get your eyes up to hold you up and help you through it. He's there. And if you've never invited him in your, into your life to be your personal Savior, he's right, he's right there. In Revelation it says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. He wants to come in. He wants to be in your life. And if he's there, you have everything you need. You have everything you need. You need to believe that. You need to believe that in your story, in my story, in everyone's story. And every time we believe that, we delight the heart of God and we sound forth good news to the rest of the world. Father, help us because we do struggle. Every day we struggle to believe your truth, to hold to it, to come back to it. And I pray that for a church, Valley Community Church, this little group of believers, wherever we're gathered together, that you'd help us to encourage each other in the same way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.